actually going to just jump into this series that we've been doing called In Case You Just Joined Us. And we launched this church just a couple of months ago, and we figured if we're new to town, we just want to try to get everybody on the same page, whether you've been around for a while, or you're new to God, or you're new to church, or new to our church, and just kind of say, this is what we believe. This is, this is what we're all about. And so we've been working through our articles of faith as a church And just kind of saying, this is what we believe, trying to look at a couple of examples from Scripture of where we see that, but really trying to focus on why does this matter? What difference does this make to to any of our lives, to each of our lives? Because we believe that the Bible really is the Word of God. And it's not just a good book. It's not just good advice. It's life-changing power from God's lips to our hearts. And so when we come to church, we, we worship him in, in all different ways, by singing, by praying, by giving, you know, by, by fellowshipping with each other. But we always get into his word to be uh, listening for his voice because we believe that it is power at work in our lives. And so today we are going to be actually tackling our final two statements in, in one message, like Reese was saying, there's kind of the, the last two we're going to talk about kind of what happens when we die, but we're also going to talk about uh, the end of time and, and you know, the, what we believe about Jesus coming back and things like that. And so I've just called this one the end, okay? And, in, you know, if you believe in Jesus, our death is not really the end, if you agree with what we believe, but it's kind of the end as, as we like to think about things. And so, you know, it... it Every single human, I think, that's ever lived wonders this question. What happens when I die? This is not a a racial thing, a a class thing. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're young or old, if you lived a thousand years ago, or if you live, you know, nowadays. Um, This is a human thought. This is something that eventually starts to pop into your mind and you start to wonder. If you grew up going to church, you think about this. If you grew up not going to be going to church, if you call yourself a Christian or an atheist or, a, you know, this is just a, a human thought that we start to wonder, oh yeah, I, I see other people getting old. I see other people passing on and someday that'll inevitably happen to me. And what, like, is that it? You know, and, and different people have different thoughts about that or, but everybody wonders. And this is a human question. Other animals don't ask this question. Your dog, you know, he might be crossing his legs wondering when you're coming home, but he's not thinking about what happens when he dies, right? Like, this is a a human thing, and I'll show you why. Uh, The uh, wisest person that ever lived said this, God has also set eternity on the heart of human beings. That God made humans, we talked about this in this series, God made humans special in his own image, and uh, we have, uh, you know, just a, a special creation. We bear his image. We have, you know, more emotion and will and intellect than his other creatures. And, and he's put eternity on the hearts of man. So it doesn't matter if you lived a thousand years ago or nowadays, if you call yourself a Christian or an atheist or where you live or how much money you make or if you're rich or young or poor or whatever. Like, this is a human thing because God's put on our hearts something that we just recognize. We have the ability to think about this. And then people also start to wonder, and, and maybe they've asked you, or you've wondered, people have asked me, like, will my dog go to heaven? You know, or will my, will my cat go to heaven? My lovable little pets. And, and I just thought I'd, you know, let you in. I, I, I can help you with that. Your dog, yes, there will be dogs in heaven. Cats, absolutely not. I'm pretty sure they will not be in heaven. <laughs> no, that's just my own opinion. That's not in the Bible. Um, I, I don't know. You can make, I've heard different people argue different ways, and all I know is, 
When you get to heaven, I don't think you'll be concerned about if Fluffy's there or not, because we'll be so consumed with meeting our Savior face to face, and, uh, and that's going to be really cool. So, um, but here's uh, some interesting stats about Americans. There's a, a group that does a ton of surveys of people, uh, Barna Research, and they, and they did a survey of a bunch of Americans about what they believe about, you know, what happens when we die in the afterlife. And so a couple of things that were interesting, they asked Americans, is there an afterlife? 81% of Americans believe in some sort of afterlife. Now, they may not all agree on what that looks like or how that works, but that's a lot. Pretty much most Americans, and I would say most humanity, probably has to eventually start thinking, there's got to be something more, you know. I didn't just, you know, accidentally show up one day, you know, I, I don't think I'm just the result of a, a cosmic accident, I don't know, but 81% of Americans believe there's some sort of afterlife. Only 9% uh, would say, maybe, don't really know, and then 10% would say, I, I'm pretty sure there's not an afterlife. Um, what's more interesting, though, they asked, what will happen to you when you die? And 64% of Americans believe that they'll go to heaven which is a lot, and I hope, I hope they're all right. I would love to see 100% of Americans go to heaven. But what's interesting, only one half of 1% believe that they'll go to hell. And some of that might just be our own American, you know, entitlement that we all deserve everything and we should go to heaven and, or just hopeful thinking like I hope, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that I'll go to heaven. And so uh, it's just interesting the, the, the difference that it's easy to believe in heaven, it's difficult to think about hell. And so I'm hoping I go to heaven. Uh, 5% people said that they think they'll come back, but in a different life form. 5% of Americans believe that they'll just cease to exist altogether. But 24% of Americans said they have no idea what happens when they die. They just legitimately don't know. They've never, you know, landed on something in their minds that they can claim that that's what they believe. And so this is a big thing. People wrestle with it. We all wonder about it. Some people have kind of just made up their mind or, or have their beliefs, but a lot of people that you know Maybe in your family, according to the survey, one out of four are just like, I don't even know, you know? And so uh, let me show you what we believe. Uh, one of our statements of faith we titled, Death and the Final Judgment. There's a ton of different scriptures. Jesus talks about this. Uh, prophets prophesy about this. And so uh, let me show you uh, what we've written as a statement about what we believe about death and the final judgment. We believe that physical death yields a separation of body and soul with no loss of immaterial consciousness. The soul of the redeemed pass immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ and are united with their resurrection bodies at the time of the first resurrection to be glorified forever in the Lord Jesus. The souls of the unsaved descend immediately into Hades, where they are kept under punishment and torment until the second resurrection. When the soul and the resurrected body are united, they shall appear at the great white throne judgment and be cast into the lake of fire, cut off from the presence of God forever. And we wrap it up with this. Those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus will receive their reward and dwell forever on the new heaven, new earth, with the Lord where we will joyfully continue to serve and worship the triune God. There is a lot in that statement about uh, what happens when we die, where we would go, what happens with our bodies and our souls, and there's a ton of different scriptures that uh, talk about that, that we've tried to, you know, really land on what that means for every single human. And um, the gist of it is this, everybody dies, okay? If you've been a human for very long, you kind of recognize that. When you're a little kid, you don't think about it, and, and then, I don't know if you remember the first time you went to a funeral, 
That's a, it's just a weird thing. If you were a little kid, I've met some people, they never went to a funeral until they were adult. They just, you know, nobody close to them die or, or whatever. And uh, I remember going to a funeral as a little kid, probably like most little kids, I'm waiting for the guy to sit back up, right? Because I, I just, it's a weird thing. And I was little and you wonder. And, and, um, but as you get older, you start to realize everyone ages, everyone dies. And uh, I remember trying to teach my kids this. We had this cute little puppy and then um, like pretty suddenly she died. And we were really sad, right? Like, I was disappointed in myself for crying over a dog. But, like, they're part of your family, right? And my kids were little, and, and they were sad. And so, in all my best ability to be a good dad, I thought I'd take advantage of the moment and let them know, well, everyone dies. As if that's supposed to make them feel better, right? And so, I'm like, you know, uh, everyone dies, you know? And then they're like, will we see her in heaven? I was like, probably not. You know, I'm not sure. But I should have I lied just to cheer them up or, or, you know. And I don't really know for sure. The Bible doesn't really say that one way or the other. But, um I remember my friends would laugh at me like, why, why would you talk about that with your kids? Like, can't you just mourn? And we did. We mourned and stuff like that. But people laughed at me. But I, I, I just felt like they're little and like a dog is sad. But I remember I'd tell them like, and someday grandpa and grandma will die. And someday I'll die. And someday you'll die. You know, like it just got darker and darker. And everyone's like, you're the worst parent that's ever lived. But I was, I told Charis, like, I want our kids to recognize that it's normal. It, it doesn't make it, like, necessarily unsad. It's still sad. It, it's sad to lose a loved one, whether they're old or young, whether you saw it coming or it was sudden. It, like, it's still sad, it, and it feels final, but we don't have to be depressed over it, and we shouldn't be so shocked as if I was 30 years old and I thought everyone lived forever. Everyone dies. And the other part is this. Uh, everyone dies. And humans have a soul that lives forever in either heaven or hell. And this is the part that makes people really uncomfortable. Because 65% of Americans love the idea and got their bags packed for heaven. But one half of 1% of Americans want to even imagine that there is a hell. But our church is driven by the truth that every human has a soul created special in God's image, and that soul, when your body passes away, your soul is made to live forever. And we will live forever in either heaven or hell. Some people believe there's several different places, or there's a place where you can go serve some time and then, and then be set free, you know, or if someone's praying for you enough. And, and what we see in Scripture is there's, there's two places that you're destined to go when your physical body dies, and your soul will live forever in one or the other. So we think it's a big deal. And, and we want, I want my kids to know Everyone dies. I'm not trying to laugh about it or make fun of it, but the truth is everyone dies. And so in the meantime, we need to make sure that we have put our faith in Jesus because that's the difference between where your soul lives forever. Uh, I would say it like this. The afterlife matters more than your current life. You know, I mean, your afterlife lasts a lot longer, 10,000 years and then forevermore. I mean, you might live for 70 or 80 or 90 years, and then the rest of eternity is your afterlife. So just by, by sheer size and weight, it trumps it. It's more important, and, it, and it's permanent, and you can't go back and change things from your current life. But the, the weird thing is, your current life determines your afterlife. The choices we make now, and really the choice we make now, of if we've given our life to Jesus— and we've received him as our savior and received forgiveness through Jesus alone. We put our faith in that. That determines our afterlife. Your soul will live forever, what we see in scripture. And it'll be in heaven or hell. And heaven and hell, this is a crazy thing. All it simply is, is heaven is the complete manifestation of God's presence. 100%, you know, pure 
you know, not, doc, not doctored down, no sin involved, just totally the manifestation of God's presence. Totally good, totally perfect, total joy, no pain. It's perfect because God is perfect and he is holy and like everything about it being amazing and perfect is because it's 100% God all the time. Hell is just the opposite. It's not like God designed some horrible torture chamber for people. It's just that he's not there. In earth, you experience good days and bad days, good seasons and bad seasons, you know, good things and bad things. And, and really, uh, the best parts of this earth is the fact that God's put his spirit inside of every believer, and the Holy Spirit is at work restraining sin and, 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 and at work bringing God's glory to earth. And if the Holy Spirit and God's glory was completely removed, you would be in hell, where there is no goodness, and there's only pain, and, and there's no perfection, because it's just all God and no God. And the current life and how we relate to that God and the faith that we decide to put in Jesus determines our afterlife, which is going to last forever. So we need to be aware of that. We need to adjust our perspective. Like, like Reese was saying that it's so easy to get you know, bogged down into just our busy routines and our everyday life and, and things seem so important and they are important and, and things seem so urgent and they are urgent. But when we can lift our eyes and realize our perspective that our afterlife is more important and, and a bigger deal, but it's determined by this life that it, it affects, you know, like scripture says, we should set our hearts on things above and not on earthly things. Where we stand with Jesus is what matters most. And where other people stand with Jesus is what matters most, whether they know it or not. And so that's what our church is about. Worshiping this Savior who saved us even though we don't deserve it and trying to leave on Sundays and everywhere we go, every one of us, tell everyone we can that where they stand with Jesus is the most important thing because death and eternity is real. That's why where we and they stand with Jesus is the most important thing. I don't know if you remember, uh, some people still say it, but a few years ago people would say, YOLO, like you only live once. It was usually an, usually an excuse to do something like really stupid, you know, like, like spend a bunch of money that you shouldn't spend or like go skydiving and, you know, with some guy that doesn't have a license or, you know, or, you know like do something crazy. Like, oh, you only live once, man, live it up. And I had a friend that started saying, you only live twice. Now YOLO doesn't, or YOLT, I guess it would be. That doesn't sound as good. It's not as fun to like yell at a party, but... Um, he was always saying, you know, you only live twice. And, and people that were Christians would be like, mm, that's true. And people that aren't Christians would be like, are you being funny right now? And he'd be like, no, I believe that. We will live once and we will live again forever. Um, the author of Hebrews says it like this. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. All people are destined to die once, but then their soul will live forever. And so YOLO might be like an excuse to do something, you know, crazy, but YOLT, you only live twice, is like a sobering thought, realizing that my current life determines my afterlife. And honestly, the current life of the church determines the afterlife of who knows how many thousands of people. The people that we get to invite to know Jesus and their kids and their friends. We've talked before as a church that we want to reach our friends as friends. That the people we know would come to put their faith in Jesus. It would change their eternity. But it wouldn't stop there. Then the people that they know and the kids that they raise, those people would come to put their faith in Jesus. And it starts with us. And we realize we only live twice. And we got to make it count now for the rest 
of eternity. It, it keeps our perspective on what is greater. So the bad news in this verse, you know, uh, the author of Hebrews is kind of giving us like, I got bad news and I got good news. You know, everybody wants the bad news first. The bad news is all people are destined to die once and face judgment. But the good news is Jesus was sacrificed to take away the sins of many. In fact, of anyone who would believe, anyone who accepts Jesus as their Savior is forgiven. Um, John three sixteen, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And it says he'll come again, this is what we're talking about today, he'll come again to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So as believers, we have so much to look forward to. And um, that leads us right into our next statement of faith. This is what we call the return of Christ. Now, there's a whole bunch of scriptures uh, about prophecies and the end times, and I don't want to get into a crazy ton of those. Um, but here's what we believe about the return of Christ. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ will return personally, visibly, and unexpectedly. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all people in righteousness, which means with perfect judgment. Okay, He, it, he is allowed to make the judgment. He is perfect. Uh, the coming of Christ, our blessed hope, demands constant expectancy and motivates each believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. Okay? And it's kind of like this. When you were a kid, or if you're still you know, a student, a kid somewhere, uh, you know what it's like to be home and mom and dad are coming back. You know, or actually I learned what's worse is when you get married and you're lazy and you know your wife is coming back, right? And like, I got nothing, I didn't even shower. Like, what did I do all day, right? Like, hurry up and like, you know, do something. And so, uh, but as a kid, like our parents would like leave us like, when I come home, this better be done and this better be clean, you know? And I know so many times where it's like, you start hearing the, the tires coming closer. You're like, I didn't do any of my work yet. I'm going to get grounded or, you know, like this is going to be bad. But then there was a few times where it's like I had everything done. The place was cleaned up. Like we did, we were, and I was like, I can't wait for them to come home, you know? Or with Cherry, I started this thing years ago where I didn't want to like do something good and not get credit. This is a total guy thing or it's just a terrible person thing. Not all guys do this, but so I would do all these dishes and I thought if I dry and put away the dishes, she might not notice that I did anything. So Someone told me that it's actually more sanitary to air dry dishes. So I thought, well, I'll, perfect. I'll leave them spread across the counter looking like a lot of dirty dishes were cleaned. And I'll claim that it was to be sanitary, but it's just to get all the credit for doing all the dishes, right? But when I got all those dishes and they're all clean, I can't, I'm like, I can't wait for Cherry to come home and, you know, see that I did something good or like the kids are still alive. Like, this is awesome, right? And it's kind of the idea that we see in scripture where, where Jesus tells us to wait. Like, like Reese was saying, anticipating uh, paying attention to what he's up to. And, and like, you can either be found by God being like, oh man, I wish you wouldn't have showed up today. I wish you wouldn't have called me home today. Because we believe that everybody dies unless you're one of the people who happen to be alive when Jesus comes back. And, and in either way, it starts eternity for you. And so you could die tomorrow, he could come back tomorrow. Either way, do we want to be found like, oh man, I was going to tell my neighbor about Jesus. I was going to put my faith in Jesus. I was, there's all these things that we might have said, oh, if I would have known, I would have been more about that, but I kind of got lazy or distracted. Or, or do you want to be the person who's like, I can't, I can't wait for, if Jesus comes today, man, I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best to worship him. I'm doing my best to serve for his kingdom in my, you know, in my relationships and things like that. Like, you see the difference as a kid, as a husband, I feel the difference of how do you want to be found. And it's kind of what we believe 
about Jesus. So I want to show you one more uh, section of, of verses. This will be in Mark chapter 13. I'll put it on the screen. If you want to flip open and read this one uh, in your own Bible, you totally can. But Mark chapter 13, Jesus, uh, several places, would, would, would teach on kind of his return. He's always telling his disciples how he was going to be killed, but he was going to rise again, and, and he's, he's going to come again. And, and if you study uh, especially Jewish prophecy, they believed in, in this Messiah would come. But they didn't believe, a lot of them, that Jesus was the Messiah. Because their Old Testament prophecies talked about a conquering king and a reigning authority. And I'm going to you know, do away with evil. And then Jesus comes as a baby. And, and the evil Roman Empire is still dominating. And, and all these things are, are not fixed. And so he can't be the Messiah. But what they didn't understand was Jesus is coming twice. So we celebrate Christmas when Jesus came as a, a baby. He was born as a, a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that in his righteous judgment, God would declare us righteous if we put our faith in Jesus by his sacrifice. And then he ascends into heaven and he's telling them over and over all the time, he's teaching them, I will come back. And the next time, it will be what you expected the first time. I will be a conquering king. I will put an end to evil. I will reward the righteous. I will judge with my holy judgment that I am allowed to have because I'm God and all. And in Mark 13 is... Uh, we're going to start in verse 32. Is one of those stories that he is telling. He says, But about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, only the Father. Now that's crazy. Jesus is like, I'm coming back someday, and you don't get to know. No one gets to know. So if you know someone that's like, it's going to be, you know, April 14th, or, you know, it's going to be 2022, or, you know, like, whatever, they're wrong. They don't know. No one gets to know. Jesus is like, the angels, they don't even get to know. I don't even get to know, which is weird. There's this whole reality that Jesus is fully human and fully God, and, and somehow did he just decide not to know? But in his humanness, as he stood there, he's not trying to you know, fool with them. He's just saying, hey, no one gets to know. It will come suddenly. And so he says in verse 33, so be on guard and be alert. He's saying, I want you to be following me well, serving me well, feeling good about me coming, showing up someday. He says, you don't know when that time will come. Verse 34, it's like a man going away, and he leaves his house, and he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Now, my parents did this when we were kids. They'd give us chores when we were gone. I just, I feel like when I leave my kids and nothing to do, they just fight and make a mess. When I give them like a list, they just get work done. It's awesome. So I'm like, all right, I need you to do chores. And really, I'm just trying to make you not fight while I'm gone. But I give them a list. And then they know when mom and dad come home, I better have that done. I, I better be, you know, he better not be bleeding or you know, whatever's on the list that day. And so... It's the same thing. He's like, Jesus is telling this story. Like, it's kind of like this guy. He's a huge, you know, he's large and in charge. He leaves people. They all have their own thing to do. And he says, I'll come back someday, but he doesn't tell them when. And this is what Jesus did. You know, he told the early disciples, I'll come back. And I think that they believed they would see it. They didn't know it might take a couple thousand years. They thought it might take a few weeks, a few months, several years, generation after generation. People have asked me, and then with COVID, and like, do you think Jesus is coming back soon? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it feels like it could happen any time. Our world is a mess, and you know, um, there was this whole thing where Jesus sent a flood because the evil, the world had gotten so wicked. Sometimes you wonder, are, are we that wicked again? Or how close, how wicked can we get? Or you know, what's he waiting for? And, and I don't know. I don't know if any of that makes him, you know, come back a little sooner. I think he's already kind of made up his mind and he knows what's going on. And it feels like it could happen tonight or tomorrow, but maybe it happens 
when my kids are old or when their kids are old. And we might be like the early church, the first generation of believers that, that pass away before it happens. But we should be prepared to meet our Savior and face his righteous judgment, whether we die to get there or he comes back to take us home. But he keeps going in verse 35. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Verse 36, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. He's telling this story because we can all relate with like being left in charge of something. And, you know, you could procrastinate thinking you got more time, but you might get busted. And, and, and so we all know those feelings. And like Reese said, it's kind of like we could wait expectantly or we could be like the dude on the couch waiting for his roommate to show up. And whether he gets here or not doesn't make I'm going to go to bed. You know, and, and, and that's what Jesus is saying. And what he says is expect a surprise. You don't get to know the date or the time. Jesus wouldn't tell us if he did know, but even he says, I don't get to know. The Father knows, he sets it, and it will go down when he says so. Until then, we should be eagerly anticipating his return or our own death. Because everybody dies, we should expect a surprise, okay? And um, it's kind of like a couple years ago, we went to this awesome water park in Florida, and they had this slide that literally goes straight down. And um, they actually put you in a whole tube. There's like a, you get in and they shut the door like a coffin. It's clear, so it's a little better than a coffin. But uh, anyways, and you're standing there and the floor opens under you. So for a little while, you literally go straight down and then, you know, you swoop through. So uh, my one son and me were the only ones brave enough to try it. The rest of my chicken family was like, we'll just... We'll just hear about it from you later. So we stand in line, and I'm like, we can't wait. Like, this is awesome. Like, we like slides. Why not straight down? And then a slide. That'll be awesome. You're wet. You're in a bathing suit. And so you're climbing up the stairs. You're, you're seeing it. The closer you get, you're, there's like these different, like, there's like three or four of them up top, and so they can get people through the line faster. And you're seeing it having everybody else, and you can't wait. Like, you went up there for the thrill. But all of a sudden, it's your turn. And you get in, and you stand there, and they shut the door, and you start to realize, I'm all alone, and the the floor is going to fall out, and they don't, it's not like there's a timer going on so you can plan on it. They purposely make it a surprise, and it's, it's a little scary, and, and you sign up for this, and you watch like a hundred other people do it while you're in line, but once it's your turn, and then they had like this, like there were speakers in there just to make it more freaky, and it was awesome, actually. We, we loved it, but um, it was like we knew what was going to happen, but it was still very shocking all of a sudden when it just happened, you know? And they're like telling you how to stand because like you gotta be ready before we do it because you don't, we're not gonna tell you, it's just gonna happen. And this is basically what Jesus is saying that we should expect a surprise. We know he's gonna return. We know he's coming now for a second time as a conquering king. He will judge all people. It's appointed to man to die once and face judgment. We know it's coming, but it's still gonna be a surprise when it happens because we don't get to know the date or the time. And so what we're called to do is to watch, to wait expectantly, to, to anticipate his return, to be found serving him, loving him with all of our hearts, you know, serving him for his glory, uh, that we would say, oh, I can't wait till God comes back because he's going to be so proud of me. I, I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But could we live in a way that says, I'm going to make God proud when he finds, I'm going to be happy that he came today. If he comes today, I'm ready, you know. I don't want to be... I don't want him to come the day I'm totally, I didn't put my makeup on and stuff like that, right? Like, we want to be ready. The best story I've ever heard about this, um, a true story that drives, I think, drives home this point, is uh, there's this guy that was an explorer, and in 1914, 
His name's Ernest Shackleton. You can Google it. It's a fascinating story. I wish someone would make it a, a movie because I don't like to read books as much. But uh, he wrote a book, and it's pretty. And they actually took a photographer. So there's pictures of this. They sailed from England, and they were going to explore Antarctica. They were going to the South Pole. And so he found all these great tough, you know, uh, sailors. And, and then this was like they knew it was going to be hard. They knew it was going to be cold. But they get closer and closer, and they have to uh, chip away the ice to get their ship through the ocean. And this is the wake behind their boat that they've been able to carve through the ice. And what eventually happens is their boat gets stuck in ice. They're not at, it's not land ho, they're just stuck in ice. And so they don't know like how long they're going to be there. So they start, they invented like ice soccer. This is like soccer on an iceberg in 1914. And they had to like set up camp on an ice flow. Because what happened was, they, 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 they thought, we'll just wait, and when it thaws out, we'll start sailing again. But then, with the pressure of the ice and the shifting of the glaciers, their boat starts to break apart. And he has this great line, he says, what the ice gets, the ice keeps. So they unpack everything, and they live on an ice flow. I picture like Buddy the Elf, you know, where he just kind of hops on it, and, and that's what's happening. They're floating through the ocean, they're not exactly sure where they are, where they're headed, and they're, they're living on an iceberg. And here's some pictures of the ship, as it just gets devastated by the ice. And they actually, I love that in 1914 they took a photographer and he actually got some of these pictures. Now you know that somebody must have survived because we have these pictures. But look at that. Their ship eventually disappears and they never see it again. Eventually the ice flow starts to break. And they're like, oh, we can't live on this ice flow forever. So they all get in their uh, lifeboats and they row to this desolate ice island. It's called Elephant Island. You can see it on a map down in South Pole. And at that point, Shackleton, the captain's like, oh, maybe I should go get help. So they launch him and five guys in a 20-foot lifeboat, and they row 700 miles across the ocean to try to get help. And he's like, you guys wait for me. I'll be back. And the amazing thing is, it took him a long time. They end up, they're stranded for almost Two years. It's been two years since they left home. It's been 20 months since they've been living on ice. They're running out of food. They've been waiting forever. Honestly, they didn't think it's a very small chance he could even make it to somewhere to get help, let alone make it back to them with help. But when he comes back, it says they were ready to go in an hour. In one, because between the fog and the ice conditions, it's like he actually t- made three attempts and they had to get like some Chilean icebreaker ship to make it and they still had to use ice boats to save it. And it was a big deal to do it quickly and they were ready when he showed up. And so he was asked, he didn't even know this, he was asking the guys like, how are you all, like you literally were packed and ready. You had no idea if I would come or when I would come. And they said, um, you know, they, he left this other guy, Frank, he was the second in, con- in charge and he left him Uh, in charge while he was gone, and the guy said this, each morning on Elephant Island, Frank Wilde, whom Shackleton had left in charge, would roll up his sleeping bag, and then he issued a call for everyone else to, quote, lash up and stow your belonging, boys. The boss may come today. Every day, for over a 100 days, they would roll their sleeping bags and pack their stuff in case he came back that day. Every single day. And later on, they interviewed the guy because they're like, I, what an amazing decision of leadership. And he said, I knew that we'd be, we would die out of despair if we didn't continue expecting his return. And so for a, over 100 days, for like three or four months, they packed their stuff every morning. He said, because they called him the boss. That was the captain's nickname. He says, the boss may come today. And I heard that story and I thought, what if Christians, so here's a picture of uh, them finally seeing him in the distance 
and celebrating a return that they had waited for and waited for and expected and anticipated and been prepared to get ready to actually happen. What if we as believers waited that expectantly for our king? What if every morning you and I woke up and we said, today might be the day and I'm going to be ready. We would make some different decisions. We'd be a little bit more focused We'll never be perfect, and it's easy to get distracted or lazy or busy and all those things. But what if we made it our goal to wake up and say, today might be the day, and I want to be ready. Here's what that means for us. If you're not yet a believer, what does this mean? Simple. What are you waiting for? If you've never put your faith in Jesus, that's what matters most for eternity. The afterlife is longer and more important and permanent compared to the current life. But your current life right now, you have the opportunity to decide for yourself if Jesus is your Savior, the Savior, or not. And if right now you have never made that decision and there's something inside of you that just is like welling up, that might be the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. And I don't want to try to coax you into it or twist your arm, but I just want to say, Listen for what God would say to your heart. And if to, it's as simple as admitting that you're a sinner and believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world, coming back to, you know, it's appointed for each man to die and be judged and that you can face him face to face and he will say, I forgive you for your sins because you put your faith in Jesus. Come into eternal life in heaven. You can just commit your life to him. You can make that decision right now today. You don't have to wait. Don't wait another day to make that decision. If you're already a believer, I know a lot of us in this room would say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. Then the idea is that we would wait well. That we would try, like Jesus said, to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength so we would be found and we would say, I, I'm going to do my best to make God proud. Years ago, God gave me this idea. It's not a Bible verse and you don't have to use this, but it popped into my head and it has been a huge thing for me. I pray this all the time. I just had this idea like, how do we bring God glory? You know, there's this verse that says in everything we do, we should try to bring God glory. And that's a great idea, but it seems like unattainable. And, it, and I God gave me this idea to dumb it down into if I can just try to make God proud and make God known, then he will receive great glory from my life. And I was saying, well, how do we get ourselves, how do we stay and be ready to be found by God? Well, what if we were trying our hardest to just be people that made him proud? You can think of like your dad or, or someone you respect smiling at you and being proud of something that you did or a decision that you made. And God could be proud of us in the same way. And what if we just say, okay, whether anybody else sees or hears or knows, I'm going to try to live my life in a way that God, I would do my best to make God proud. And I'm going to do my best to make God known because God has commissioned his followers to go and make more disciples. And so it's not just a, like, let's just be good people. We need to like worship him and make him proud, but we need to do whatever we can to make him known. That's why we started another campus here in Morris. So hopefully it'd be easier to get people to come and meet Jesus. But I got to tell you, our main strategy as a church is not to get people here on Sundays. We want people to come visit on Sundays. You might be here for your very first time today. We're so glad you came. And, and we know that some people will come and give their life to Jesus in this room. We can't wait for that to happen. But our main strategy is that each of us, as we go our separate ways, would be real in our world and help people know Jesus. They don't have to come here to make that decision. Most people, we think our best strategy is for the church all week long, everywhere we go, to try to make Jesus known and help people make that decision. And hopefully after they've decided to put their faith in Jesus, or at least piqued their curiosity because of your conversation, then they come. And we can't wait to welcome people here. But our main strategy is not just invite people here and then hope we can win them to Jesus. We want to win people to Jesus 
in our cubicles and on the soccer field and everywhere we go and around your kitchen table and at bedtime and, and everywhere we go. That's the mission. That's the strategy of our church that we would be trying to make our Savior known because this current life is what determines the afterlife for every person you know. And so we want to be the people who are making him known to everyone we can because we realize what's at stake even if they don't. So I hope that if you're not a believer, you would consider what you believe about Jesus and you could put your faith in him and receive forgiveness today. If you are, it's easy to say and hard to do. Let's wait well. Let's be expecting. But like Reese said, let's focus our hearts and let's determine in our hearts to be people who are going to be found as someone God will be proud of, but also be someone who's going to make God known. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, even just these couple of scriptures we were looking at today, um, and even that example of those sailors, we're thankful for the way you can get our attention. And I'm so thankful for the way that you're patient with me. And there's days where we don't think much about you. We don't, we don't anticipate meeting you that day. Um, but I pray that as your church, we will be people who strive to make you proud in our in our alone time, in our relationships, in our decisions that we make, in how we handle the life that you've given us. I pray that you would just put that on our hearts, but also that we would be people who want to make you known, not just when we sing on Sundays or not just when we pray before meals, but that we would do our best to gently show people that they need you, to do our best to introduce people to know you. God, I pray for each of us in this room right now, I pray that you would bring an appointment to us that we would be the person who gets to introduce and lead someone else to know you. You want to do that through all of us. It's not just a few of us. God, you have plans for each of us to be used that way. Help us to be people who are eager to make you known to more people. That this church will grow, not just because we put a sign in someone's yard, but that as we all go our separate ways and we just can't help but try to invite people to know you, that they would need a church to join. That's how we want to see this grow. God, I pray that you'd use each of us everywhere we go. And God, we know we're not perfect. And we thank you for your patience. But I pray that you would be powerful in our minds and our hearts to serve you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much. Uh, If you need any questions answered or help, please stop by the next TEPS table because uh, we bailed on the announcements for you today. So we'll see you guys next week.